Welcome to episode 26 by Fika with Rise. This week we meet Erin Falconer. She wrote a book on how to get shit done, literally. Learn some valuable mindset skills to maximize your output and check everything off your list. Erin is the editor-in-chief and co-owner of Pick the Brain, a popular self-improvement blog and the co-host of the acclaimed Pick the Brain podcast. She's been named one of the top 10 women changing the digital landscape for good. You want to maximize your productivity? Then this is a great episode with many gold nuggets. Let's get this Fika started. This is Erin's story. Let's go. Hello, Erin. Welcome to Fika with Rice. I'm so excited to have you on the show. You wrote a book called How to Get Shit Done, How to Break Out with Your Friends as well. And I wanted to, to start this episode with some rapid fire questions. It has become a tradition here at, at Fika with Rice. And our guests and our audience love it. So it goes like this. I'll make a statement and then you'll finish the sentence. Does that make sense? Sure. Sounds yeah. good. Okay. If I was 20 years old today, I would... Really pay attention to how I use social media. The biggest mistake I made when I was in college was... Deciding I knew exactly what it was I wanted to do at 18 years old. When I grew up, my biggest dream was... To win an Academy Award for writing. Oh, that's cool. (laughs) Hasn't happened yet. (laughs) Where did that come from? That it's very, very specific. This will be an unpopular answer, but it started one night when I was... I'd always kind of written, like I used to be a stand-up comedian when I was 16, 17, 18 and stuff. And so I was like writing comedy. I think it was my second year at the university. I went to go see a Woody Allen film and I was a huge Woody Allen film fan. And I think it was Husbands and Wives maybe. And I don't know, there was something about with the way the script was written. I was like, oh, I want to I wanna write a script like that. That's, that's the script. I, and then of course I wanted to win an Academy Award for it. But as I said, that hasn't quite panned out yet. It's okay. It's okay. Life is long, you know, so. Yeah. And now I I, I couldn't have never predicted writing books. And now I have two books done. So that's, I feel good about that. Congratulations. I mean, already that, like it's a massive achievement, you know, and it takes a big commitment to write a book. So, and you wrote two. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. The most common mistake entrepreneurs make is. Thinking that failure is necessarily a bad thing. The most common mistake young women make that join the workforce for the first time is? Assuming they'll be treated equally. The best advice I received from my parents when I was young was? Listen to your inner voice. I love that. Yeah. I wished I knew when I started my first job. That it wouldn't define me in the way that I thought it was when I was in that job. That's something that I tell all our students. Mm doesn't matter what happens at your first internship. You know, yeah. I did my first internship with an investment banking. doesn't mean I was going to become a banker for the rest of my life. So Exactly. Exactly. Okay. My biggest hobby is... Watching stand-up comedy. Oh, that's funny. I watched one last night, actually, on Netflix with Ali yeah. Wong. Oh, Ali Wong. She's funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> my biggest fear is... Being numb. You mean not moving? Or, no, not feeling, like emotionally numb. Interesting. All right, Erin, how did you become so passionate about productivity? Where did that come from? <laughs> Is this a rapid fire question? Or are we no, it's to- not. It's not. Because <laughs> <laughs> okay, like, it might be a longer answer than that. No. Um, <laughs> you know, it's funny. So 
a little bit about my story. I kind of grew up being extremely type A, you know, straight A student. I was the head girl, which is like school president, valedictorian, head of the debate team, like you name it. I did all that. And I was really convinced I was going to go to law school. And early on, like when I was in grade 12, I remember I was going driving to my best friend's house to study for exams. And I heard a commercial on the radio to find Canada's next funniest comedian. And somehow I'd never contemplated being a comedian ever before. But when I arrived at my friend's house, instead of studying, when she opened the door, I was like, this is what we're gonna do. We're gonna write a comedy show. We're going to this, we're going to this competition. And she was like, what? And I somehow talked her into doing it. And we ended up not only performing, but winning. And when we were supposed to be flown to Toronto, to, I'm from Winnipeg in Canada. When we were supposed to be flown to Toronto for the, you know, the finals, we had to give our ID, um, to, you know, so they could book our flights. And we were both 16. And so you, we weren't even allowed to go into a comedy club because they serve alcohol until 18. So we didn't, you know, we didn't get to fly to Toronto. but. The point is, is that that was the first time I kind of experienced this contact with my inner voice. I didn't know what that was at the time. I didn't know that that's what was going on. But I was kind of in this fast paced, fast track, you know, straight A student thing. And then all of a sudden this thing came up, try stand up comedy. Years later, when I was graduating from McGill, I was about to go to law school and I kind of had the same epiphany. I woke up in the morning and I was like, I'm going to defer for a year. And I'm going to pursue comedy and writing. And so I called the law school and said, take me off the roster, basically. Long story short, I ended up moving to Los Angeles, but I moved here without a plan. I just kind of had this dream, you know, I'm going to become a famous writer, whatever, but with no plan. And so I really honestly got my ass handed to me because that's not the way it works. You've got to have a plan. You've got to put, you've got to have dreams and passion, but you've got to put a plan in place. And so I found myself super down and out, no money, no car, didn't know what I was doing, was going to have to go back to Canada. And I called two mentors that had kind of shepherded me over like the past, you know, the previous, you know, maybe five or six years crying and saying like, Oh my God, I'm going to have to go back to Canada. And both of them separately said, but what, do you really want to do with your life? And I was like, well, I want to be a writer. And they were like, well, then you've got to stay there. And I said, are you kidding me? Look, I've got nothing. Like I'm crying on a bathroom floor, like in a bad rom-com, you know, this is, this is, this isn't working. And so after I reflected on what they said, I made an agreement with myself and I said, I'm going to put out a hundred resumes on Craigslist, which in the United, I don't know if you know what Craigslist is, but in the United States. Yes, I know. Yeah. Okay. So and if I get any jobs, then I'll, then I'll take it. So of the hundred resumes, I put out one, I, sorry, I got out one offer and that okay. was to a $15 an hour copyright assistant at this self-improvement startup. And I was like, oh my God, this is not like the writing job I moved to Los Angeles for, but it was like, I, I either take this or I go home. So I decided to take the job and I put a planner out. I said, I'm going to make this the best. Like I'm going to turn this into an opportunity. And I didn't know how, but I was like, I'm putting all into this $15 an hour job. And out of that, I was able to start pick the brain, the blog that I have now that's been around for like 13 or 14 years. It's super successful out of, Pick the brain. I then raised a million dollars to start my startup called Leaf TV with my partner, Jerry. We created that company, did very well. And out of the blue, a New York lit agent hit me up 
and said, hey, we'd love you to write a book. And I was like, oh, so excited because, and I started workshopping all these different ideas and, you know, whatever. And I got on the call and they were, you know, I started pitching them my ideas and they were so confused and they were like, no, we want the book to be about you. And I was like, what? And I was so deflated because I'd worked on these ideas and I was like, who the f is going to read that book? Like, what are you guys talking about? Are you crazy? So I got off the phone. I was totally dejected. And I was like, here I go again. I thought I was going to be a writer. And so the next day I went into the office, which was my leaf offices. And I had the great fortune of working with a lot of really great women. And I walked into the office and I looked around and I was like, oh my God, we are all suffering from the same illness. And that is, we're just going, 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 going. We've got our heads down. We're not taking stock of any of the victories. We're not taking stock of if we even want to be here. We're just like so scared to be replaced or, you know, so scared to like face who we really are. And is this even the right thing for us that we're just like doing? And in that moment, I kind of had this epiphany and I was like, you know what? For so long since I'd been down and out and, and to, 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 to up until that time, I had not even reflected on, I was like, wow, I did create this really big blog. Wow, I do have almost a million followers. I was able to raise money for this company. Wow, I have done a lot of stuff. And yet I don't even recognize that. And that's when I had this epiphany about productivity. And that, you know, productivity, pro it, the word itself is product centered. It's not person centered. It's about input and output, input and output. And there's nothing really within that that takes into account the nuance of humanity, the nuance of fulfillment, the nuance of living to the truest form of yourself. It's just about input and output. And for me, that is a, that is a formula that does not work when you hold it up against the human landscape. And it certainly doesn't work for women because what women are doing are going into these workplaces created for and by men, rightfully so. They're the only, you know, the ones that have been doing it for so long and trying to fit into systems and places that were not created for or by us. So it's even more of a, just like, I'm trying to fit in and get stuff done. I'm trying to fit in. And so the longer you're trying to fit in, the farther you're getting away from who you really are, the core of who you are as a person. Right. And so it was in these couple of days after the, the call with the agent where I was like, I want to talk about productivity. I think productivity is super important, but I think the way we look at what productivity actually is versus what it can be is kind of where the meat is. Like that's where it's really interesting to talk about what is productivity because I think the classic definition no longer works or no longer serves like the needs of people. Let's talk about a concrete example. So as a, as a, as a prep before this call, um, I read somewhere that you receive I mean, it was a couple of years ago, but that you receive 500 emails per day and you don't stress about it. Right. Yeah, no, I don't. H how do you do that? Well, here's the thing. I mean, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm very ashamed to admit <laughs> that number one, my personal email, I have zero unread emails. My blog email, I have probably 8,000 unread emails. Okay. And the truth is I just can't keep up with the volume. And that's the truth. And the fact of the matter is most of those emails are emails of people wanting something from me, right? They either want a post, they want an interview from me, they want um, me to share what something they've written or going to write or whatever. And then there are some other emails that are, you know, 
the business of the blog, which, you know, tech stuff, you know, Google updates, you know, all that kind of stuff. So in my mind, I have it kind of clear the things that are really kind of blog specific and important to my core business, which is only maybe about 10% of those emails. And I have those keywords starred in my Google inbox. So if anything comes up with, you know, you know, the word algorithm, or, I mean, I don't want to tell everybody what my starred things are. (laughs) Start putting it in the email, but, but so that those are drawn to my attention. And the fact of the matter is there, and this is, this might seem crazy to you, but my whole philosophy is if the people that want something from me really want something from me, they'll email me more than once. And like myself, and after, right, and after yeah. seeing the game appear once or twice, because I see all the headlines, I see all the names, right? I just can't open all of them. So you don't I, skim it? You don't open the email? Like, okay, what's this? Yeah. Whatever. Okay. I don't, I, don't, I don't open the email. I will notice, though, if I see a person's name reappear or something says, you know, follow up, and then the subject line, I will click that. Because I'm like, okay, this person knows the second time or the third time they reach out to me. Okay, this is a person that's not just randomly firing off emails, you know, or putting, you know, I get so many emails that are like, um, they've just copy and paste my URL and you can tell it's a mass email going out to like many people, you know, like they're, they're, they're pitching a group. So you can say, dear in quotes, at pick the brain. And I'm like, oh, I know that just got fed into somebody's system. So the people that really want something from me are going to email me more than once, twice, three times. I mean, I have people that have emailed me nine times. And on the ninth time I go, oh my God, I should check this out. And I go, wow, I'm glad I checked this out. But I'm also, I feel like I trust the magic of like, I'm going to align with who I'm going to align. Also when I'm scanning the emails, sometimes I just feel compelled to click on something. A name strikes me in a certain way. A word is in the subject line strikes me. So I go, mm, okay, click. And so I kind of trust the magic of like, I was meant to click on that email. You know what I mean? And sometimes it's something and sometimes it's nothing, but. You just trust the process, basically. I just trust the process. This, you know, I don't feel like I'm missing out or that I'm missing a ton of opportunities. Have I missed some? Probably, but nothing that's going to really change the scope of my business and the scope of my life dramatically. And as I said, it's like when I see people putting in the effort, like, and really, you know, taking a personal approach and doing something like I would, like, I don't quit. I don't give up. Hey, let me try this another, another way. I respect that. I go, okay. okay. That's good. My effort yeah, is paying off. Have, I have a ton. I shared my screen with you right now to show you, but it's embarrassing. <laughs> it's okay. No, I'm, I'm, I was asking because I would, I think I would have so much insight if I had like 500 I, emails or 8,000. On my personal, I can't let one email go unread. Like I, okay. that, that would give me massive anxiety. And the truth is for some of the pick the brain emails that become important, I will then start CCing my personal. So I make sure I don't miss any of those. In fact, okay. I think you are now on my personal email, right? That's because great. Yes something goes and then I go, okay, this is cause that's, I do not mess emails that come in my personal. So then I, I, as I said, I like CC so that I, that I have total exposure to that. And those emails are checked. I'm like constantly refreshing. <laughs> oh my God. Okay. My personal. So Erin, I think we're entering a quite interesting uh, concept because in your book, how to get done, you write about doing less. And that's a concept that I would love to embrace more. I'm trying. I'm really trying. My wife is reminding me almost every day, but achieving more, right? How can we do that? 
<laughs> how can we do that? Well, how can you do less? Yes, right. how can we do less but achieve more? Yeah, well, that's the thing. So, like in the book, there's two real pieces to it. First of all, the original name of that book, of the first book, was called The Pop Effect. And in, in, in the book, I talk about POP, which is an acronym, P O P, and it stands for personality, opportunity, and productivity. And that's kind of my formula for understanding what true productivity looks for you. And the first P is personality. So really understanding who you are, where you are, how you got here and where you want to go. Like so often we make decisions if we, if we're doing a traditional path, like in university, like I'm going to be a lawyer or even before that sometimes. And sometimes that's just really an inner voice speaking to you. And that's like your calling. But most of the times it's like, I need to pick a major, um, economics, you know what I mean? And then you kind of feel like, well, I spent three years studying economics. So that's what I do now. And we never really check back in. And so we're literally going on the council of an 18 year old version of ourselves, which feels kind of preposterous, right? So this idea of the first P, the personality, really understanding, checking in with yourself, saying like, what am I doing right now? How did I get here? Do I still feel that's aligned with who I am right now, who I've grown into, who I've become? Maybe it's yes, maybe it's no, maybe it's somewhere in between, right? So really figuring out those core values, those core things that motivate you, those core things that make you happy and feel energized. And then looking around your circumstance and like literally where you live and then also what the landscape of the market is, which is the opportunity, the O part, and try and say, okay, this is what my skill set, this is what I really love to do, and these are the opportunities around me. Now let me try and factor in something so that I can start working in a way that truly that honors both the, the PO so that then I can get an equation that's that speaks to what true productivity would look like for me. What I suggest is that at any one point you choose three big goals, right? Okay. And Generally speaking, it would be good if they were not all in the same bucket. So you have career, you have your relationships, and then you have your personal, something that like speaks to you personally. In not every phase of your life, are you going to have balance across all three? Maybe you're very career focused, so you're going to have a couple goals in the career. Maybe you're very family focused. You want to start a family. So the relationship um, would, part. Would this be, sorry to cut you, Erin, would this be like annual goals or we're yeah. talking about three or yeah. five year goals? I think you want to check. Yeah, because there's only three, I think you want to check in. Yeah, like every, you know, kind of six months to a year, not longer than that, because you're going to want to be refining you. Hopefully you've made headway on some of them or you've maybe wanted to change course. So it's important to kind of check in. And then once you've established that, I talk about doing the seven day time challenge where mm -hmm. From Monday to Sunday, just like a food diet. I don't know if you have these in Spain, but like people that are a food journal, people that are trying to lose weight here, they write down every single thing they eat in a day and then are often shocked to find how many calories or fat or whatever you're oh. tracking or eating. There's an amazing so, app for that, actually, from by Under Armour. It's a blue one. Can't recall what it's called. But you put in like banana and it's like, okay, 45 calories. And you track it. And so anyways, yes. that's, that's cool. And that's a really big thing. That's a really big thing here in Los Angeles. And you know, like the Apple watches or any watch, yes. they're tracking every single step you take. You know what I okay. mean? So this is basically that, but for how you're spending your time. And from Monday to Sunday, you, I want you to write down every single thing you're doing. The time you get up, how many minutes do you take kind of getting ready, like in the shower, brushing your teeth, all of that. What will you do for breakfast? How long is your commute? And then track how you kind of spend your time in the office. And then later in the night, do that 
for seven days. And I guarantee you, when you get to Sunday and you hold up the list of the three things that are really important to you, your three goals, and you hold up how you're spending your time, your jaw is going to drop because you're like, you know, I'm spending 80% of my time not moving towards these goals. And which in that case really means you're moving somebody else's agenda forward for them, right? And so you have to get very clear and very intentional on flipping that percentage and saying, I'm going to be consciously as much as I can spending like 80% of the time working on these three big goals and and the projects that help support those goals, obviously, and 20% on the drudgery of life, you know, so the stuff you just have to do for your job. Mm-hmm. I don't necessarily love the picking up of the laundry or the, the dry cleaning, the grocery shopping, those kinds of things, which we just have to do. When you look at that, get creative around like, okay, how many, how much time am I spending in the grocery store? If I had those groceries delivered, yes, there's a cost, but what is my time worth? And if I paid the five in here, it's a five ninety nine service fee. So if I paid the $6 to have these delivered, what could I do with the hour of my time? Is it worth $6? Probably I could do something that was worth a lot more than $6 in terms of, you know, something, anything that's on those, that you're one of your three big goals is probably, I hope, worth more than $6 an hour. So you can start kind of really drilling down on exactly how you spend your time. And once you start doing that, you're going to see how much time you actually free up. Because when you're razor focused and you start making choices about not doing things, like here's an example. I was talking to somebody the other day and they said, oh my God, I got invited to so-and-so's baby shower on Saturday. No, not a baby shower. A friend's yes. okay. child's birthday. And this friend of ours does not have a child. Do you have children? Yes, I have a baby daughter who's eight weeks old. Oh, congratulations. Thank so you, you're not quite in the socialization phase, but I mean, it really does become all about the baby. And then if you don't have a baby or that's not your world, it's like, it, you know, it, it can be. A I little can tragic. imagine people feeling outside. Yes. Yeah. Just like what I'm, so anyway, she goes, I don't want to go to so-and-so's thing. You, or she said, oh, are you going to so-and-so's kid's birthday? And I was like, yeah. And she was like, ah, I was like, are you? And she said, yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was like, why? She was like, well, because she invited me. And I said, being invited is not enough because somebody invites you to do something is not enough. You have to say to yourself, look, like, and this is a great example. She's going to go to that birthday party because she was invited. The mom is going to be, of course, happy she's there, but spend zero time with her. The mom is going to yes. be running around, catering to screaming kids and cutting cake and blowing out candles and being stressed and sneaking Chardonnay in the back room. And she's not going to, you know what I mean? So like, while it is nice that you are showing up, your presence is not even going to be appreciated. You can't contribute in the way that you want to, to your friend, cut it out of the list, right? There's a better way to do that. There's a better way to hang out with your friend and engage with your friend that gives you energy and support, as opposed to going to this kid's party, which you're going to leave and feel so drained and irritated. So that's your Saturday, drained and irritated, take it off the list do something that supports one of those three things instead. And your friend, if she's a true friend, will understand and really support and respect that choice. I love that auditing, Erin. But you know, so one thing I'm thinking about, I'm just thinking, okay, if, if I should be starting this tomorrow, let's say I have a bad memory, okay? How will I remember how much time I spent in the bathroom, getting ready, having breakfast? Yeah, so after seven. each activity, then I would write yeah. it down. Yes, you have to write it down. For a week. Exactly. Because so, I'm not yeah. going to remember in the evening 
Like, exactly. Alarm went off, 8.30. Okay? Then I don't know what your routine... Let's say we're talking about me. So I'm going to get up, brush my teeth, have a shower. It depends whether my son's up or not, right? But let's say that takes me like... I, I'm just making this up, but let's say that takes me 15 minutes. So I'm like, alarm goes off at 8.30. In the shower, 15 minutes. My son went, you know, and then you just start, you start writing, you literally write it down, like just as you would plug into a, just ate a banana, <laughs> you know okay. what I mean? Banana. Yeah. <laughs> so. All right. I want to try that for seven days. Okay. Let's see what comes up. Days. So I'm going to try it for seven days. You'll be surprised. Yes, I think so. And also there is a good app. What is the name of it? That tracks your time on social media. There's a so lot of those. Yes. yes. Which one so are you, you referring to exactly? I'm trying to remember what I have. I think I have it one written down in the book, but there's probably an even newer one because that book came out three years ago. Um, if you put that into your phone, then at the end of the day, you'll just read, you can see how much time you've spent on social media. So you also write that because that's really hard to, because we're so mindless about the way we're using our phones. 100%. It's really good to get a clear vision of like, oh, wow, I spent an hour and 35 minutes on social media, an hour and 35 minutes. That's Did I get a, a workout in there. That's a workout. That's yeah. a workout and, and a long, hot shower. You know exactly. I mean? Yeah, so you're right. You're right. You want to just start training your mind to start really paying attention to what you're doing because so much of what we're doing in a day, we're very unconscious about. It's just mm -hmm. hamsters on a wheel, right? And so I yeah. think the biggest idea is not just to come to the end of the seven days and see, you know, exactly where you're spending your time, but to interrupt, disrupt your day for seven days to stop yourself. What did, what did I just do there? Oh, okay. And get clear on it. Next 30 minutes or whatever, that time go, you know? And it can even be where you set an alarm every hour where it's just reminds you, okay, what did I just do for the last hour? You know, and then write it down. It's the disruption. So it's not just like going, going, going. We are robots going, going. It's like, stop, reflect. Okay. All right. And the disruption factor I think is very important. I love that, you know, like luckily I don't have that, you know, that I'm spending like two hours on social media, like, but I definitely see that on my nephews and nieces. I'm like, man, you just spent three hours just scrolling. Like you could have been out running, you could have done your homework. I don't know. You could have like watched something like educational on YouTube yeah. and I absolutely hear you. Yeah. So about productivity, I mean, one feeling that... Uh, myself and I'm sure a lot of people in the audience struggle with is I think in your book you call it not enough state of mind like like I could have done more right so I'm a very ambitious person right so I'm like okay this week I'm gonna record four episodes and I might hit Thursday and I might think well you know what I could have done five right uh, or, or one more. How do one deal with these types of feeling? And what would you say to people that are ambitious and, and deal with this? Well, look, it's so there's two parts. There's the hunger element, right? Which is a good thing in a way where it's like striving to the, be the best, you know, really wanting to bring the best out of you, challenge yourself. And, and I think those things are good, right? That's kind of what drives us. That's what helps keep us motivated. But the flip side of that is this idea, which like we've never quite achieved enough. Oh, if I'd only done more, I could get more. And that mindset, the difference between having hunger is I think hunger gives you energy and makes you feel motivated. But when you get to the other side of, oh, if only I'd done one more, if, you know, I should have tried harder, 
So you can see just in the language, the pivot there is that one is proactive and positive and the other is kind of negative and self-deprecating. And this idea that we should like beat ourselves down and again, that idea that like we're not enough and we always could be doing better. I think it's really old school. I think this idea of like the lashing is like not where we want to be. And I think here is coming out of a pandemic. I mean, I don't know how it is in Barcelona, but it's like the idea of just being kind to yourself and supporting yourself. And of course to others is so necessary. I don't even know not to be a downer, but like the collective trauma of what's going on. I don't even know what that's going to look like as we really reemerge into society. So I think only you can kind of answer is, is my need to do four or five or five or six podcasts coming from a place of hunger because I'm excited and I'm pumped up and I just want to create and put content out into the world? Or is it a personal attack on myself, even though it might attack might seem too big, but is it a personal kind of like that lashing, like, ah, oh, you just could have done more if you put that extra effort in. And I think you need to really understand the why, why do five? If you've done four really great episodes, why do you need to do five? Well, if it's your hunger for putting great content out and you're just so curious and you love these conversations and it gives you energy and fills you with joy. Okay. Well, maybe try and do five. If it's just simply like, oh shoot, from a quantity perspective, again, like input and output, input and output, I could have done more. That's not enough. That's not a strong enough motivation because you're getting back into that antiquated idea of what productivity is. I think also there's a saturation point just on this very specific example about the podcast. There's a diminishing point of returns. And that's been my own experience with my own podcast. Okay. Um, Tell me more about that. So I started out, this is kind of a funny story. So this is one of those cases where somebody emailed me probably five or six times, didn't open the email. And then on the sixth time, I just kept seeing this guy, Jeremy Fisher, Jeremy Fisher, come up in my inbox. And I finally clicked on it and he made this pitch to me to do a podcast. And I'd had that many times, but he put it together really comprehensively. And it was one of those things where I was like, oh man, I'm glad I clicked on this. Shoot, I almost missed that. So I had a call with him and he said, uh, he, he made an incredible kind of pitch. And he said, and I'm gonna basically do, you know, he knew the whole world inside and out. And I was like, I thought about it after and I really liked him and I liked his pitch, but I said, listen, from a bandwidth perspective, I can't do any of this. It's just where I'm at. I said, I I can tell you what I can do. I can show up and I can record. And for that hour, I'll give you a hundred percent, but I'm not doing another thing. You have to do everything else. You have to produce it. You have to do, and I'll share it and I will share it, of course. So, you know, I'll promote it on the thing. And he said, yeah, I'll do that. And I was like, what? Like that, that's totally unfair. Like you're, you're making this so much more work for you. And he said, no, but you have the audience and you know, all that. So I said, okay, this is never good. This guy's never going to do this. Right. Well, he did it. Such a great guy. And he hasn't, by the way, I'll give him a shout out. He has another very cool podcast called the awakening, which is okay. all about side hustles. And it's very cool. Anyways, So when we started out, one of the things was he was like, I want to release three episodes a week. And I was like, they're ambitious. Three episodes a week. And I had no eyes on this podcasting space, really, you know? And I was like, whoa, okay, well, uh, 
that sounds like a lot. And he's like, no, if the key is consistency and you've got to have an audience like showing up and they know it's good. And I was like, all right, okay, well, it's just, just like more work for you, but okay. So we did that. We did that for a while. And what we noticed is that our audience, and we were loving it, by the way, we were, this is new. We were loving having these conversations. Blah, blah, blah. So we had a big spike in, in traffic and views and downloads and all that stuff. Uh, not views, listens and download, you know, downloads and shares and stuff. But then after a while, I'd say like after 10 months or 11 months, it started to just plateau, plateau, plateau. And then it took a slight dip and then, a, and then it went up, and, but it was just plateauing. And it was weird because we had this big like, and what Jeremy and I decided was that it was too much content, that there was people were getting frustrated because they couldn't keep up because each episode, you know, is probably like of our shows, probably like 30 minutes, 35 minutes. And so people started to get behind and then mm -hmm. feel like they missed some of the content. And then was like, well, now I'm too far behind to really enjoy the show. Of course, that's not the way it works. These are all standalone episodes, but just psychologically, we'd hit a saturation point. So we yes. actually brought it down to once a week and all of a sudden the numbers started to go back up again. So even now, you know, you also have to pay attention to like, okay, I've got all this great content and this could be true for anything. We're, we're talking about podcasts here, but this is true. If you're like, do more, do more, do more. There's also a saturation point that you want to have people wanting more from you too. Not just like, here it all is. You want them to want something from you and having the restraint to be able that, to them to like energetically start to want to pull content from you as opposed to you just being like, and I've got more and I've got more and I've got more. I think psychologically, that starts to backfire. So factor that into your self-loathing. I will, obviously, you know, I think self-love is really important, but I think all of this stems from my competitive drive. I was um, a com competitive ping pong player back in Sweden when I was younger, it's really yeah. random, uh, but, my brother, but my, all brother, my brother used to be a competitive um, ping pong player in Canada. Oh uh, yeah, okay. Yeah. But it's not very big in North America. It's getting, but no, it's he, it was a short-lived career. But he was very good. I'm sure the, the the deal in Sweden was a lot bigger. Yeah. Okay. Well, that's really cool. Yeah. Yeah. So you know, it's always about the next ball. It's always about the next match. Like, okay, I can always train more. You know, like if I do right. a little bit more reps. So I think that's so ingrained in me. You know, that in whatever I'm doing, whether that's like LinkedIn updates or podcast recordings or reaching out to new guests, I'm all like, I can do five more. You know, or I can do another right. one. Would yeah. you say that's hunger or ambition or? Well, it's uh, hard because. You know, you make an important distinction and that athlete mindset is very specific. But the truth is the athlete mindset works because you're only doing basically one thing. And it's like you can, not one thing. I mean, you might be training, you might be doing other things to support that thing, but it is that razor focus. The thing is, I think it's great to always be saying like, how can I be better, you know, in anything? How can I do this better than I'm doing it today? But at a certain point, you know, th this is where I think people get kind of removed from themselves or have a fear of just sitting with themselves quietly, not doing. And that's what I'm seeing more and more. So like, is it hunger or is it just that I'm not comfortable doing nothing right now and not nothing in a like, I mean, just. It is true. I am very uncomfortable doing nothing, Erin. 
And so that is exactly what you want to look at. It's not the place where you're comfortable you want to look at. You want to look at the places where you're uncomfortable because that's where the information is. That's where the good information is, right? You want to lean more into what provides you discomfort than what is familiar and comfortable. And so much of that, like again, for the athlete, that really matters because without that focus and the, without that discipline, you're not going to get to the next level. And presumably that's your whole reason for operating in the world at that moment, you know, is you're really good at this game or sport or whatever. But in life, like outside of the athletic kind of arena or forum, you don't operate like that. You can bring a lot of those traits and a lot of that discipline. And I think that is amazing because I, I'm, I'll talk, I talk about discipline a lot and I think it's super important. It's one of the big keys to success. Even though I'm kind of chilling, like I've got 9,000 unread emails, I'm super disciplined about the things I know I need to get done and the things that I'm passionate about. So those things that you learn from sport are very good. But as I said, you got to be careful that you don't lean too heavily into this and then miss the nuance of being human, right? And the fear you feel of facing that competitive attitude, there's always a competitor. It's always, you know, you're channeling your greatest strength inside, but it's always juxtaposed with beating somebody or it's a time or a, you know, when you're with yourself out in real life, there's importance to be, it's not about necessarily other people all the time. You've got to make it about you exclusively some of the time, even that's a small percentage of the time. Like I spent, I say it's imperative for people to find 15 minutes a day of totally removing chaos from the mind. So for me, that's meditation. That's not for everybody. Whether that is a walk, a device-free walk, mm-hmm. whether that is taking a bath, device-free, whether that is taking a hot shower, obviously you wouldn't bring your device in the shower, but like where it is 15 minutes timed, where you have nothing else going on except you and your immediate, hopefully very quiet surroundings. And so that's scary to people. And people say, oh, I don't have time for that. You know, and it's like, if you can't find 15 minutes. Yeah, you we, don't have a life, you know. Then we, then, then we shouldn't be talking. You know what I mean? I'd rather you yeah. be meditating right now than talking to me. You're <laughs> so, right. Yeah. No, you're right. hundred percent. So yeah, it's the idea of not just leaning into the thing of the known and the comfortable. It's about what makes me feel uncomfortable and spending some time saying, why does that make me uncomfortable? Why do I need to have my schedule, you know, schedule it out 24 seven. And you are in a particular place in life with an eight week old baby that is unlike anything else. So it's okay to be overscheduled in this time and kind of always on call and like not getting much sleep. And like, that's a very unique time. But, but once you come out of that and, and prior to that, you got to lean into the uncomfortable and you have to find 15 minutes a day, chaos-free, totally chaos-free 15 minutes a day. I, I love that. I am. Um, so about the, the daughter. Yes, I actually just came from the hospital because she got the first vaccines, you know, about the 15 minutes. I a few years ago, many years ago now, but I've always been a morning person. So I feel like even now with a baby, I'm like, I make an effort, even though it's extremely hard yeah. to wake up like at least half an hour before. So I get my meditation and my journaling in because it really grounds me, you know, yeah. So I I definitely hear what you're getting to. Yeah. Journaling's great too. Exactly. That's another good example of something to do just to like 
be with yourself. I think the, the you touched on something really interesting. I think a lot of ambitious people have that that challenge is the art of doing nothing. Right. But you want to be productive. So I'm not talking about 15 minutes. I'm talking right. about, I don't know, let's say it's a Friday. You don't have anything scheduled. So you want to feel productive, right? You want to do something that moves the right. ball. How do one deal with, because you get a lot of self-talk, you know, you have that, that person that tells you, hey, what are you doing? You know, you should be getting a coffee now and you need to be, I don't know, clear your emails. Uh, how about sending out some proposal, whatever, you, whatever you're doing. How do you right. deal with that self-talk? How do you deal with like the art of doing nothing, so to speak? Well, I think the, I think the first thing, and you kind of just touched on this, is, is the awareness piece. So most people don't even, are not even aware that these little voices are in their head, right? They're just, I mean, they're hearing them, but it's, it's, it's so, they're so far removed from it that they're being driven often by narratives that they did not write. And so you need to stop and look, what are the narratives? What are the voices in my head telling me, you know, and then analyze why. It's just so important to get curious. It's like, go get your coffee and you should be sending out a pro proposal. Okay, why? Why does that need to be done right now as opposed to whatever else that you could be doing. And sometimes you'll come up with a very good answer. Oh, I know because it's time sensitive and there's a big thing coming up and it would be great to be in the conversation for that. And mm -hmm. sometimes it's like, you know, there is no real rush on this. When I juxtapose it with maybe I go to the beach and take a walk and rejuvenate and you know, whatever it is. And so you, but you can only make those choices once you have awareness on what the options are, right? Yeah. And so many of us are just, that's what I mean. We're just being driven by like, I talk a lot about in the book, this idea of should. I say the word should is the worst word in the English language because it's like, should, I should be doing this. I should, according to who? Whose narrative is running your life, right? Should, what should does a lot of the time is like, I used to see this a lot, like somebody would come to work in the morning and go, oh, I'm so mad at myself. I should have gone to the gym, but instead I went home and watched Netflix. And I was like, so what you basically are telling me is you didn't work out, but you also didn't relax because you were thinking about what you weren't doing, right? So should is caught in this purgatory. And it's like, as opposed to just being like, I'm making a choice to relax tonight and I'm making a promise to myself to wake up early tomorrow and do the workout or schedule it at another time so that then when I'm relaxing, I can just relax. It's also like we do a lot of fake relaxing in Western culture. Like It's true. It is true. Something, but then we're kind of scrolling our emails to see, did anything come in that I need to address yeah. right now? That's not relaxing. Newsflash. No. That is not relaxing. Exactly. So you're doing a lot of nothing. Right. No. You're not working and you're not relaxing. And so that's the world of should. So anytime it's like you're hearing those voices, like I should be getting a coffee. I should be sending out the pros. Who, who is saying I should do this? Yeah. I need to be clear. It's me that's saying this and not some societal, you know, voice telling me I'm not doing enough or insecurities from my childhood telling me I'm not doing enough or because so often those voices are woven in from a very, very young age. And without identifying that, you keep being driven by them. And again, that's a good example yeah. of you being driven by somebody else's agenda, not your own agenda. So it makes it really hard to then do nothing or 
it's funny. I was going to write a book. My follow-up to the book, to, to the original book, uh, how to get you done was going to be called doing nothing is something. Okay. And I really believe that, you know what I mean? So, so it would be a good book. I think, <laughs> I mean, I'm not the only one who struggles with it. I'm sure a lot of people right. in the audience too, you know, Maybe I'll put that back in the roster, but yeah. So I think the first thing to any solving any problem is just really having the awareness in the first place and then making choices because until you make choices and really see how it feels to like do nothing or, you know, I make a different choice than what the voice in your head is suggesting. You'll never know how it feels, how it sits with you, how, if it feels right, or if it, if it feels wrong. And if it does feel wrong, then you can pivot in another direction. But until you've actually done it, it's hard to know what really works for you and what doesn't. Right. And, and then yeah. maybe there's a hybrid world where you make a deal with yourself. Okay. I'm going to spend an hour doing X, Y, and Z to be productive, but then I'm also going to spend an hour or two reconnecting with friends or whatever it is, whatever makes you feel fulfilled and calm and like it's worth living this crazy life, you know? So, um, but you can't make choices if you don't have awareness on what's going on. I learned a lot, Erin, today, and I'm just going to comment on that. I think, you know, we were saying fake relaxing and one thing that a new habit I implemented uh, over Christmas was I made the conscious decision to not check my email unless I decide that I'm going to answer to those emails. Right. So for example, like it's, I don't know, Friday, Friday, 8 PM, you know, yeah. we, we have our phones, right? Our iPhones. And it's so easy to be like, okay, let me, let me refresh, see if I got something, right. but I make that choice that, you know what, I'm not going to do it because Nothing, no action or nothing's going to happen over the weekend. It's just going to play in your heart. It's just going to spin in the back of your mind, even though you're not aware of it. Uh, Yeah. Burning out the battery. Exactly. Exactly. Great idea. I love that. Thank you, Erin. It's been such a pleasure to have you on the show. Uh, Where can people learn more about you, Erin? Well, my new book, How to Break Up with Your Friends, which also, by the way, is a lot about productivity. And both of the books are available Amazon, uh, Barnes and Noble, where, wherever you buy books should be available. And then I'm at Erin Falconer on social or at Pick the Brain on all social. And then you can check me out at erinfalconer.com or pickthebrain.com. <laughs> Thank you. I would love to talk about uh, the next book in another episode. I know that we, we covered a lot uh, about productivity and how to get shit done, but we'd love to cover the next book uh, in another episode. So Yeah, I would love that. Thank you so much. I learned a lot. I'm sure the, the audience as well. So thank you very much, Erin. Uh, thank you. A lot of gratitude for listening to Fika with Bryce. I really mean that. If you like the show, I would love if you can leave us a five-star review, whatever you're listening to your podcast. It helps us so much to get the word out there to other listeners. If you have any questions or any feedback, I would love to hear from you. I'm just a DM away on Instagram or TikTok at Freddy Van Hyun. So looking forward to hearing from you guys. Thank you so much.